This week on Making Contact. Well, if you don't get this vaccination, then I can't pass you on this medical exam. So obviously I didn't really have a choice. Why are they requiring it of us then? You know, are we some sort of medical experiment? They're talking about the widely distributed HPV vaccine Gardasil. The Centers for Disease Control says Gardasil helps prevent certain types of cervical cancer. But since its approval in 2006, the vaccine has been mired in controversy over alleged side effects. Even more controversial is the current CDC health mandate that requires young immigrant women to get the vaccination if they want to stay permanently in the U.S. On this edition, public health policy versus personal health rights. Making Contact's Elena Bakken-Levy talks to people on both sides of the debate over the mandatory vaccination. I'm Tina Rubio, and this is Making Contact, a program connecting people, vital ideas, and important information. I chose to get vaccinated because I'll do everything I can to help protect myself from cervical cancer. I chose to get vaccinated with my The sound of a camera snapping is accompanied by close-up snapshots of hip young women in their 20s. In the commercial, the women are painting, studying, petting a dog, each telling the TV viewer why she chooses to get vaccinated. I chose to get vaccinated after my doctor told me cervical cancer. Gardasil. You might have heard about it. It's a widely distributed and relatively new vaccine for HPV. That's the human papillomavirus, a sexually transmitted disease that can cause cervical cancer. The Centers for Disease Control says Gardasil prevents some types of HPV. The One Less Commercial campaign first started airing on U.S. TV stations back in 2006. Manufactured by pharmaceutical giant Merck & Company, the marketing campaign capitalized on the language of women's choice. You have the power to choose. Ask your doctor about Gardasil. Since its approval in 2006, Gardasil has been recommended for girls and young women ages 9 through 26. But the vaccine is not a choice for everyone. I don't feel like I had a choice in this matter. I really feel like I was forced to get a vaccination that I, you know, I didn't want to get. That's 26-year-old Fatima Qureshi. My doctor gave me a small pamphlet that was basically was going into the, si- the potential side effects that I could have. Other than that, any questions I asked about whether I really needed it or not were not really answered. I really felt like the doctors weren't really there to help me. They just wanted to get this process over with, and I had to either get the vaccine or get going. Unlike the young women in the commercial, Fatima did not have a choice. She was required by law to start the HPV vaccination if she wanted to apply for permanent residency in the United States. That's because Fatima is not a U.S. citizen, even though she's been here for the past 15 years. I spoke with Fatima on a night where she and her husband, Ken, cooked dinner in their high-ceiling loft in Brooklyn, New York. I was born in the United Arab Emirates in Abu Dhabi, which is the capital. I lived there for about 11 years with my family. I came to the United States in 1993. My father, mother... Myself and my brother all moved to Connecticut, which is where my two elder brothers were going to college. Fatima's family used to live in the United Arab Emirates, but they were forced to leave. 
Well, what had happened was in the early 90s in the Middle East and specifically in the UAE, there was this movement called Arabization or localization, basically, where, you know, the government decided that there were too many foreigners in the country and they wanted to replace the foreigners who had higher level jobs with Arab nationals. After her father was fired from his job, he tried to return to Pakistan, where the family has citizenship. But what had happened when he went back there was he was persecuted. He's what you call a Mahajir, which is an Indian immigrant to Pakistan. And at the time, Indian immigrants in Pakistan were being persecuted. So he was kidnapped and tortured and, you know, all sorts of horrible things happened to him. And he was lucky enough to make it out. So Fatima's family sought political asylum in the U.S., But the process is complicated. Her father is still in asylum proceedings today, 15 years after they first came to the U.S. But Fatima has pulled herself out of the asylum proceedings. She married Ken, who she met in grad school at New York University. Now she is applying for residency through a marriage petition. But this has come with a whole list of requirements. Passing a medical exam is one. So every immigrant has to go to a government-certified clinic, And they have to get a physical, they have to show proof that they've received particular vaccinations and that they're healthy and disease-free. And based on whatever the results are, the doctor who's been certified by the government either gives you a clean bill of health or says you didn't pass. And that can affect whether you get a permanent residency or not. I went to a clinic in Manhattan. It was at her medical exam that Fatima first learned about Gardasil and that U.S. law would require her to get vaccinated even though it's not required for U.S. citizens. This came as a surprise not only to her, but also to many doctors, attorneys, immigrants' rights, and reproductive justice organizations around the country. Priscilla Huang is the Policy and Programs Director at the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, or NAPOF. They are an immigrants' rights and reproductive justice organization. Priscilla explains how this requirement became a law. Basically what happened was back in 1996, Congress made some changes to our immigration law. And among one of those changes was a requirement that any sort of vaccine that becomes a recommendation by a specific division in CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, would become an automatic requirement for immigrants. That division of the CDC is known as the Advisory Committee for Immigration Practices, or ASIP. Dr. Dublina Dada works in the CDC Division of STD Prevention. She says the ASIP committee is made up of a group of physicians and vaccine experts. They meet regularly to look over new scientific data on vaccines, and they're responsible for developing new vaccination recommendations. The ACIP strives to make recommendations that are in the best interest of individual and public health, but the ACIP does not include in its purview mandates of any sort. Mandates are the purview of state legislators as well as Congress. So basically, this was a blanket connection between any recommendation that came out of ACIP to a mandate that requires that vaccine for immigration. The CDC, and specifically ACIP, did not recommend that the HPV vaccine be a requirement for anybody. Priscilla Huang. From what we understand, they never had an intention for making it a requirement for even U.S. citizen girls and young women. And so 
from what we understand, they were equally su as surprised as we were when they found out that it would become a requirement for immigrants. But regardless of their intention, women like Fatima are left without a choice in the matter. And I asked him, you know, do I have to get it? Is it a requirement? Because as far as I knew, it was news to me. And he gave me an answer that was pretty suspicious to me. He was like, well, yeah, it's a requirement. Everybody has to get it. And I asked him, you know, do you know why? Is there, is there an exception? Can I sign something or apply for some kind of exception? And, you know, he didn't really give me an answer. So I said, well, I need to think about it and I'll come back. And he, before I left, you know, he pretty much said, well, if you don't get this vaccination, then I can't pass you on this medical exam and I can't give you your medical paperwork. So obviously I didn't really have a choice, but I wanted to, you know, think about it. When Fatima went home, she did some research to learn everything she could about HPV and the vaccine. She found that she was required to get the first dose in order to pass her medical exam. I did some research, too. Dr. Dada from the CDC helped me understand a bit more about HPV and this vaccine. HPV stands for human papillomavirus, which is a very common sexually transmitted infection. In the U.S., we estimate about 6 million infections occur every year. We know that virtually all of cervical cancer cases are due to HPV infection. The CDC says that at least 80% of women will have contracted an HPV infection by the time they're 50 years old. Most of the time, our bodies process the disease without any symptoms. But a few strains of HPV can lead to cervical cancer. In the U.S., about 10,000 cases of cervical cancer are diagnosed each year, and there are about 4,000 deaths each year due to cervical cancer. And I want to point out that in the U.S., we have lower rates of cervical cancer because we do cervical screening. Worldwide, about 300,000 women die from cervical cancer each year, and it's the second most common cause of cancer death in women globally. And the American Social Health Association says about 20 million people in the United States are currently infected with HPV. But many of these women will never know they have an HPV infection because they're asymptomatic or don't have access to health care. Each year in the U.S., thousands of women learn they have cervical cancer. I could be one less. One less statistic. One less. I do want to clarify that we're not against the vaccine per se, but we're against the forced vaccination of immigrant women when it's not required for other women. Jessica Gonzalez is the Director of Policy and Advocacy at the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health in New York City. As a reproductive justice organization, the Institute looks at women's health not as an isolated issue, but in the context of their lives, experiences, environments, and social identities. Gardasil and this HPV vaccine and this issue related to requiring it for immigrant women is a reproductive justice issue because we look at reproductive justice as a very intersectional issue that really looks at women's ability to make decisions about themselves, their families, and their communities. So by forcing this vaccine on immigrant women, again, looking at a population which are mostly women of color and a marginalized population, that it's a reproductive justice issue because the autonomy has been taken away from them. This isn't the first time women of color and immigrant women have been subject to federal policies that control their bodies. Women in the reproductive justice movement see the HPV vaccination requirement as a new chapter in a history of reproductive oppression. 
in the past, women of color and immigrant women have been subjected to birth control testing, forced sterilization, Depo-Provera, which is the shot. Their fertility has been controlled by policies that would prevent them from having children if they're drug users or if they're in prison. And there's a whole eugenic movement that has seen women of color and immigrant women as unfit to reproduce. So this is a history that we carry with us when looking at policies such as the vaccine mandate that that the government has just issued for immigrant women. Between the 1920s and 60s, more than 100,000 women were coerced or forced to get sterilized in the United States. These were predominantly poor women, women of color, and welfare recipients. One of these women was Loretta Ross, a renowned activist and expert on human rights and women's issues. Ross is a founding member of Sister Song, a women of color reproductive health collective. Now, the development that we probably need to pay close attention to was at the end of the 1900s, there was a movement developed that was actually badly based on Darwin's science that was called eugenics, that began to promote positive breeding so that we could improve the race. And they meant the white race, by the way. Ross became sterilized after she was given Dalkin Shield, an intrauterine device, or IUD. At the time, it was marketed as the hottest and newest form of birth control. But these IUDs ended up sterilizing thousands of women in the U.S. and led 300,000 women to file a class action lawsuit against the manufacturer. There were positive incentives that were created to encourage white couples to have more children. And then there were disincentives created, including massive sterilization of people of color and anybody that they felt was unfit. 22 states passed eugenics laws that allowed the state to just sterilize anybody they wanted to that they deemed as not fit to reproduce. And so we have that history Racist assumptions about overpopulation developed alongside the eugenics movement. Fueled by these ideas, state policies tried to control the reproduction of women of color, poor and immigrant women. In many states, welfare recipients could get sterilized or were forced to lose their welfare benefits. Neal Cox Ramirez is one of these women. She has shared her story with Against Their Will. It's a project of the Winston-Salem Journal that documented North Carolina's sterilization program that affected more than 7,000 women. Neal was 18 years old in 1965 when she got pregnant with her boyfriend. She was also on welfare. A white woman from the Washington County Department of Public Welfare started coming over their house more often. She will always tell me, your family is going to starve because of what you did. If you don't do this, we're going to take this check away from her. Nobody gives a hoot. Nobody want to hear what you got to say. You're pregnant. You need to get sterilization. They want what they want to get me done, and that's it. What right did I have? Was it because I was a black girl and I didn't have no right? Elaine Riddick Jesse is another woman who shared her story with the Against Their Will Project. She was sterilized at 14 without her consent and explains how it felt. They took away my life. They took away my rights to be a woman. My rights to have children, to be happy. Why didn't they just sew me up? Just sew me up, period. 
You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. If you'd like more information or for CD copies of this program, please call 800-529-5736. Full-length interviews with guests from today's show and other women in the reproductive justice movement are available on our website. You can also download programs or get our podcast at radioproject.org. We now return to Guard Us All, Immigrant Women and the HPV Vaccine. Immigrant women have also struggled with control over their reproductive health. In the late 1970s, in a landmark case, Madrigal v. Quilligan, 10 Mexican women in California testified that a Los Angeles medical center violated their right to reproduce by coercing them to get sterilized. The National Coalition for Immigrant Women's Rights is helping to pick up the fight against the control of women's bodies. It's a newly formed group of reproductive justice and immigrants' rights organizations. The coalition has come out in strong opposition to the new vaccination requirement. In a letter to the CDC, they lay out a series of reasons why they believe this requirement should be rescinded. Priscilla Huang from NAPOF, which is also part of the coalition, explains. It's extremely cost prohibitive. For example, we know that the HPV vaccine is currently the most expensive one on the market. The FDA has approved it and recommends that people receiving the vaccine get it in three doses, and each dose costs a minimum of $120. And that's without considering the costs associated with going on an office visit, transportation, physician fees, anything else that's associated with administering the vaccine. Well, I think that the challenge is just, it's, it's so expensive. Beth Stickney is an attorney and the executive director of the Immigrant Legal Advocacy Project. They are the only organization in Maine to offer legal aid to low-income immigrants. We surveyed all of the doctors that are approved by immigration to provide the immigration medical exam in Maine. And the cheapest cost for getting this vaccination from one of those approved doctors is uh, $600 for the series of three shots. And it goes up as high as $1,000 for the series of three shots. Additionally, the cost for Gardasil is not covered by insurance, Medicaid, or state health care programs for immigrant women. Women in the U.S., on the other hand, can get the cost covered through some insurance plans. And children and teens under 18 may be eligible for free vaccinations through the Vaccines for Children program. But immigrant women are required to pay for their own series of doses, a cost they usually cannot afford. One of Beth's clients in Maine is 26. Once she turns 27, the requirement no longer applies. So she's waiting till then to finish her medical exam, the last step in getting her green card. She says she heard about the vaccine from the Gardasil commercials on TV, but did not know she was required to get it. Initially, when the nurse told her she needed the vaccine, she agreed. And I said, okay, great, I'll do it. Because something that's a precaution, so yeah. The, the nurse put like face and she said, well, it's kind of expensive. How expensive? $600. And I was like in shock because I wasn't even prepared to that shot. I didn't even know I had to take it. 
To see how the costs of the HPV vaccine really vary, I called five medical offices in the San Francisco Bay Area that offer immigration medical exams. At four different offices, the price varied and went as high as $250 for one dose. At the fifth office, the receptionist said she'd never even heard of the HPV vaccination. Meanwhile, Beth Stickney tells me the new vaccine requirement hasn't changed the number of people coming into her office for legal help. But she says that's probably because most people don't even know about the mandate. It can be an interesting discussion because there are some people who ask the question of, well, are all women in the United States between those ages required to have this vaccine? And the answer to that is no. And then there, there have been some people who are saying, well, why are they requiring it of us then? You know, are we some sort of medical experiment? I chose to get my daughter vaccinated because I want her to be one less woman affected by cervical cancer. I chose to get my daughter vaccinated when her doctor told me the facts. Like other vaccines, it's about prevention. I like it. Gardasil is the only cervical cancer Gardasil's commercials emphasize choice, but immigrant moms don't have the right to oppose this vaccination for their daughters. Reproductive justice and immigrants' rights groups, who make up the National Coalition for Immigrant Women's Rights, say that's wrong. Priscilla Huang from NAPOF tells me they see this forced vaccination as a serious threat to women's choices about their own bodies. It made a lot of sense for us to take on this issue regarding the HPV vaccine requirement because as an Asian American and Pacific Islander organization, we know that there is a high percentage of us who come from immigrant communities or have immigrant parents. In 2007, more than a million people obtained permanent residency status in the U.S. 60% of the people came from Latin America, with 16% coming from East and Southeast Asia. More than 100,000 were women under the age of 20, women who could be directly affected by this law. And as a reproductive justice issue, we know that making something like the HPV vaccine requirement really limits the ability for immigrant women in particular to make informed decisions about themselves and about their daughters and and their own health. Then there are the reported side effects. Since Gardasil was approved in 2006, more than 10,000 reports of adverse side effects have been documented, even reports of death. But the CDC stands by their assertion that Gardasil is safe and effective. Dr. Dada. Right now, I think that there is a general consensus in the vaccination community that Gardasil is quite safe. And the data that we have so far completely bears out that conclusion. But attorney Beth Stickney says otherwise. As I understand it, it's not a settled question in the medical community as to whether this vaccine should be universally given to young women. And, you know, if it should be given, what's the right age to start giving it? Side effects include pain, swelling, itching, and redness at the injection site. Fever, nausea, dizziness, vomiting, and faint. Judicial Watch is a public interest group that looks at government corruption and has been tracking Gardasil. They say the total number of deaths from HPV vaccination are as many as 20. And they've collected more than 3,000 reports of their own relating to adverse effects from the vaccine. Still, the CDC stands by their findings, but says it's an issue they take seriously. In particular, the requirement for young immigrant women. I think that the CDC feels that that is an issue which deserves some attention. And CDC is responding to that by convening a work group to 
address whether this sort of blanket coverage of the mandate for all ACIP-recommended vaccines is the best way to, you know, protect our immigrants, or whether each vaccine should be considered on a vaccine-by-vaccine basis about whether or not it's medically appropriate for the purpose of immigration. Many advocates are arguing that this requirement is not the best way to protect the health of immigrants. One of Fatima's biggest concerns with her own vaccination is that she says it was not administered with her health or best interest in mind. I had to get it because I needed the paperwork in order to be eligible for a permanent residency. So I got it. I got the vaccine. You know, I, I know that you need more than one dose in order for the vaccine to be effective, but I was told that you only actually are required to get one dose. Um, and after that, They don't really care whether you complete the vaccination or not. So Fatima didn't complete the vaccination series. It was too expensive, she's married, and she didn't feel she's at risk. It only took one dose for her to pass the medical exam. But the CDC's Dr. Dada says that one dose of Gardasil is not an effective form of HPV prevention. Right now, there are still studies looking at that question. We really stick with our message that three doses are necessary to derive the kind of benefits that we're talking about. The one dose of Gardasil that Fatima took probably won't prevent the four strains of HPV. Even so, Fatima says she still won't complete the vaccination. You know, I honestly can't think of one good reason why the U.S. government is imposing this requirement on young girls and women who seek to become immigrants of the United States. I just feel like it's a big financial burden and because people are not required to complete the dose that the United States government doesn't have a woman's health in mind either. Women's health and ability to make choices about their own bodies is the priority for members of the National Coalition for Immigrant Women's Rights. Priscilla Huang from NAPOF says it's also important to recognize that cervical cancer is a serious health issue for immigrants. There are many immigrant communities that do face health disparities specific to issues like cervical cancer. And so Korean women, Vietnamese women, um, certain Latina women do have disproportionately high cervical cancer rates. And that is a problem that we think the CDC has a role in addressing and all of our communities have a role in addressing. However, we don't think that a requirement for the HPV vaccine is the right path towards eliminating cervical cancer and the disparities from these communities. And it is that kind of reproductive health care that the coalition wants all women to have access to. Ultimately, they want the HPV vaccination requirement overturned. But while they fight against this mandate, Jessica Gonzalez from the National Latina Institute, another member of the coalition, says it's equally as important to fight for comprehensive women's health care. So instead of mandating this vaccine, what's important for immigrant women is to ensure access to health care services, to ensure that they have access to culturally competent care, linguistically competent care, and ensure that their dignity is intact and that when you require them to take vaccines that are not required for the general population, then that again takes autonomy and the dignity away from our immigrant women. Reproductive justice advocates have made it clear that women's bodies are a battleground for control. Like the Dalkin Shield IUD in the 1970s, many women today see the HPV vaccine as another attempt to test reproductive tools on women of color.
in this case, young immigrant women. These advocates for immigrants' rights and reproductive justice have a similar vision. The right to live in our society without a fear of discrimination, access to education and health care, and to decide when and if to have children. But the HPV vaccination requirement, they say, is a barrier to those rights. I really didn't think that the U.S. would impose this kind of a requirement, which I feel is so unfair to immigrant women. And I had to do it anyway. I just, I feel like the process in general is extremely difficult to go through, financially, emotionally. And then to see one more barrier was just really disappointing to me. For Making Contact, I'm Elena Botkin-Levy. That's it for this edition of Making Contact. Special thanks to the Reproductive Justice Fund at the Tides Foundation for making the show possible. For a CD copy of this program, call the National Radio Project at 800-529-5736, or you can get our podcast at radioproject.org. Lisa Redman is our executive director, Andrew Stelser and Pauline Bartoloni, producers, Con Fam associate director, Elena Bakken-Levy, RJ production coordinator, and Megan Martegni and Osma Moseni, interns. And I'm Tina Rubio. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. <laughs>